My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Ladna Mohammed, Kaku Kaney, and Andre Harriet. Profound anti-blackness is built into the heart of this country's mainstream institutions. Black people in these contexts have to deal with heightened surveillance, disproportionate targeting for regulation and punishment, erasure and disbelief of black voices, lack of black people in positions of authority, disproportionate denial of access and resources, widespread dehumanization, and more. And as important work by black Canadian writers and scholars has documented, this is not just an issue when it comes to obviously punitive institutions like police and prisons, but also institutions with mandates that are ostensibly about support and helping. It is, for example, true, as today's interview participants intimately know, of Canadian universities. Ledna Mohammed recently finished a diploma in journalism and a degree in professional writing, and she works doing freelance writing and media production. Kaku Kaney has a diploma in TV broadcasting and is currently studying film and media at Humber College, and she's a photographer, filmmaker, and poet. And Andre Harriet did a bachelor's degree in criminology at York University and a master's of teaching degree at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education, and he currently works as a high school teacher with the Toronto District School Board. As students or recent graduates themselves, they and a few other people wanted to create a way to amplify the voices of black students talking about all the things that they face that make universities hostile places for them, as well as the strategies that they use to survive, to thrive, to resist, and to excel under those circumstances. They decided to create a documentary film, which they called Black in Post-Sec. To keep it manageable, they decided to focus on black students who attend the three universities in Toronto, Ryerson, York, and University of Toronto. They wrote some grants, they started tackling all of the logistics that go into making a film, they developed a social media presence, particularly on Instagram, to connect with potential participants and to build an audience, and then it was a matter of arranging and doing the interviews. For the most part, group interviews with students involved in black student associations, or BSAs, and one-on-one -on -one interviews with other students. In doing these interviews, they heard a number of common themes. Perhaps the most common was a recognition that universities market themselves as diverse and inclusive, but they do little to actually make themselves safe and welcoming for black students. Woke performativity, one of the participants named it. Many talked about the massive underrepresentation of black people among staff, faculty, and administrators, and about curriculum that often includes few black scholars and black voices. Campus security disproportionately targets black students and black-focused events. Often faculty are not held accountable for racism. There is a general lack of mental health supports and an unwillingness to recognize the support needs of students who have faced anti-black racism. And there's often a refusal by these institutions to acknowledge and adequately respond to the specificities of anti-black racism as distinct from the experiences of other racialized groups. At the same time, the participants in the film also show how resilient black students are in the face of it all, and how much black students do to support each other in the context of institutions that won't. 
In particular, BSAs are crucial to creating community, creating safe spaces, and putting together resources to support black students. They are a place, quote, to find joy in the chaos, as Harriet put it. Black and Post-Sec had been screened only twice at the point when we did this interview, but interest in more screenings has been pouring in from across Toronto, elsewhere in Ontario, and beyond. Today's guests and the other people involved in the project will be working hard in 2020 to meet these requests. And as they do, they're looking to spark many more conversations. Not just about the problems, not just about the strategies for getting through, but about what it might look like to create alternative institutions in which black students could truly thrive. I speak with Mohammed, Kaney, and Harriet about the experiences of black students in post-secondary educational institutions and about the Black in Post-Sec documentary film. My name is Andre Harriet, currently a high school teacher with the Toronto District School Board. I went to York University, did a bachelor's degree in criminology, and then I went to OEZ, the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education, and I completed a master's of teaching degree. I'm an uncle. Uh, I really love to read and write. And I'm a first-generation Canadian. I'm Ledna, Ledna Mohammed. I just finished a diploma in journalism and a degree in professional writing. I currently freelance write, produce, film, all of that. My name is Kaku Kaney, and I have a diploma in broadcasting television, and I'm currently studying film and media under. Mm-hmm. On the side, I do photography and other film projects that I think of doing. I also do poetry as well. So the documentary essentially is about Black students throughout Toronto, so UFT, York, and Ryerson University specifically, because we felt like college Black students had a completely different experiences because their campuses are significantly smaller. The goal of this project was to create an intro to race-based data about Black students in universities throughout the city get a conversation going, talk about police presence, security presence, how they navigate classrooms, how they feel about being Black on these campuses, their safety, their education, things like that. The idea for the documentary actually came out of a podcast. I was a part of a podcast called Three Dreads and a Jureg, and one of the members, Khalid Martin, he's also one of the producers on the doc, he wanted to do like a season finale for our season two And he wanted to do some conversation around Black students in post-secondary institutions, looking at how Black students like navigate post-secondary institutions, pretty much all of the things that Lennon just mentioned. Initially, it was going to be a podcast discussion, but then we decided to expand it into like a full-out documentary. And then it became Black and Post-Sec. And then we expanded and brought some other people on the team. We reached out to some really, really dope Black students that we knew. And it just became bigger that way. The beginning stages was essentially us trying to figure out what schools we wanted to use, narrow it down from college to university, narrow it down from university to Ryerson, York, and UFT. And then we started to call out other people, like a subcommittee, to get people to help us film on these campuses and to get people to help us interview at our main location. And then we basically created a list of people who we thought would be suitable to include in the staff, people on Black student associations, Black youth who've done community work to kind of guide us into the right direction for the staff, figure out which Black props we wanted to incorporate. There was a lot of list making in the beginning, a lot of like grant writing in the beginning, and then 
executing it came after and it was a lot easier than actually drafting this idea for the project. We use social media to the best of our ability, right? So at the beginning, you know, we created an Instagram page. And when we first started filming, in the first couple of weeks, we released our first trailer. This was last December. Just to let people know, this is we're working on this project. It's looking at Black students in post-sec. And then we eventually started to build more followers. And as the year went along, we started posting more content, snippets from interviews, creating our own posters and things like that. And it really started to build a lot more momentum, I think, than we thought it was going to build. So that was really, really great. For me personally, because like I studied filming and screenwriting and all those kinds of things. So I was really excited to come onto the project. I love watching documentaries and learning the behind the scenes of like history and all that kind of stuff. So it was very much a learn as you go process. In terms of like filming, that part wasn't too bad. It mostly was like in terms of having to structure how the interviews were going to go, where they were going to be filmed. Luckily for a lot of the interviews, at the time I went to Seneca, so I was able to like schedule renting out rooms that were being used specifically on the weekends. Since most students don't usually film at school those times that we were able to film certain documentaries, you know, use the equipment that I could borrow at our leisure so that a lot of the main portions of the documentary could be filmed in that way. And just basically, like, using the resources we had, people we knew, spaces that we were able to get onto so that we could get forward with getting all the footage that we needed before moving on to the post-process of it. When you were initially pitching the idea to people you wanted to get involved in the production process or people you wanted to interview, what kinds of reactions did you get? From my experience, people were very excited. People loved the idea. People thought it was really important work. Obviously, this is not new work, and that's something we went into this acknowledging. Like, we're not doing anything super new or like super different that hasn't been done in the past. We're just continuing the work. We took the baton, and now we're continuing it. But yeah, for the most part, people are very excited to see this happening. And there has been so much that has been happening on campus, like a lot of anti-Blackness on campus that Black Student Associations experience. So I think a lot of people were very grateful to get the opportunity to speak about their experience in a way that was not filtered or we asked people just to be open and authentic and honest. So people, I think, were very happy with that. There was a lot of excitement, as Andre said, with our group interviews, because group interviews consisted of BSA members, so they had a lot to unpack. But from my experience, like on campus, walking around campuses, getting like shooters, the one-on-one interviews for Black youth on campus studying, grabbing food, who aren't on BSA, I found that they were a bit hesitant at first, like shook, like paranoid, to say a little too much, because they still attend these institutions. So a lot of it was guiding them, like, say what you need, what you feel comfortable with. You don't have to say anything you're not comfortable with. But then after they started opening up a bit, they're like, okay, I'm going to say what I truly feel once they recognize that there's no real repercussion for speaking their mind. Yeah, there was a bit of hesitancy. Like, oh, like, I work on campus or, oh, like, I still go here. But I do experience anti-black racism and I do feel uncomfortable in a classroom. So, yeah, a bit tense. What were the key things that you heard repeatedly across the different campuses and the different interviews? One big theme that came up for us was the idea that the university profits off of diversity. So, you know, they have Black students in the promo, in the ad campaigns, and it's a way to increase profit, to increase like student intake and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, they don't really care. They don't care about Black students. 
They don't care about the safety of black students. They don't prioritize the well-being of black students. We label the theme like profitable yet disposable. All institutions, all university institutions in GTA profit off of notions of equity, diversity, inclusivity, being progressive. But when you look at the way they treat students, particularly black students and the policies that they have in place, they actually aren't equitable and they aren't anti-racist. It becomes evident when you sit and you listen to all the bullshit that black students continue to experience every single day. And it's such a lot that we go through. It's like debilitating, really. It really chills us, like kills our spirit, kills our soul. Like it burdens us, it exhausts us to have to, you know, fight to even just exist in these institutions that are constantly pushing us out. I think one participant called it woke performativity. So the university institutions pushing out this discourse about being woke, progressive and all these things. Yeah, it's not really shown in how they treat Black students. Another one that comes after performance would be Black student erasure. So there's so many positions and so many committees and subcommittees and subcommittees for those subcommittees. There's mad people in these various positions, but I don't want to say that there's no Black people in these positions, but there's just not enough. Also, UFT and York and Ryerson have all mentioned how nobody uses anti-Black specifically anymore. It's racist. So people are straying away from recognizing that there is racism towards Black folks only and all of the intersections within Blackness and broadening out to racism or not using Black, but using people of color. So there's just a major erasure going on within these institutions. So if you report an incident, it'll be like, it'll be worded as racist or a person of color, but it matters to use the word Black because it's disproportionately happening to us. So that was another thing mentioned. And what else did you hear from students about what universities are doing in terms of things like policies and curriculum and whatever else that's having that effect of creating a hostile environment for Black students and pushing them out of the institution? Some of the things that came up was not holding professors accountable when they are racist. Many students spoke about being in classrooms with racist professors who say racist things, who fail Black students simply because they're Black or simply because they push back. Yet these professors have jobs. These professors are not being held accountable. Other things people spoke about was the lack of support for Black students, like mental health support, specifically like resources. And specifically at UFT, the conversation came up about the mental health policy that was passed where students are seen like unfit to be in school, then they are pretty much pushed out indefinitely. Then just the whole process of even trying to receive support. I remember in 2016, 17, uh, UPSA, York United Black Student Alliance, myself, Ledna Kaku, we're all a part of UPSA. And we had a CPR training that we put on for Black students. So it was subsidized CPR training and the funding that we get for UPSA specifically to do work with Black students. And we received a lot of anti-Black hate on campus, online, people making videos about us, calling us racist, saying it's reverse racism, saying white students need CPR training as well. People are calling us porch monkeys. Like all of these things were online and it took a toll on us. If the university wasn't anti-Black, we wouldn't need to exist. We wouldn't need to do this work, right, to preserve ourselves. Mm -hmm. But it is, and that's why we're doing the work. But a lot of us were trying to get accommodations for classes. And it was so difficult to get accommodations. Like we literally 
first-hand experience anti-Black racism that was really detrimental to our own well-being, mental health. And the institution made us run through hurdles and hoops and all this just to even get any sort of accommodation, right? And they didn't even take us seriously at all. Another one would be how there isn't enough Black props teaching Black mm-hmm. courses, so teaching mm-hmm. race-related yeah. things, teaching things that are traumatizing, are triggering, are a lot to handle, were never taught properly up until university. And also, what ends up happening is that you're in these classrooms learning Black studies, but your class is white, or your class is white and didn't do the work to actually educate themselves on these topics, how to navigate it as a white person carrying privilege. So they end up dropping the N-word with the hard ER, reading, reading. And we've been told by numerous Black students that they've had props who they were so excited to take these courses and walk in and find that it's taught by a non-Black person. And then they decide to stick it out because they paid, what, three grand for a four-year course. And then the prof is saying the hard ER. And then when the prof is called out on it, they're saying that, oh, you know, it gives you a real feel for the time. You can't bleep out the word. I can't bleep out the word. I'm just redoing the reading. So there's no real humanizing Black students. And there's no real humanizing of the actual experiences that Black people had in the past. So, yeah, not enough Black profs. So it creates a hostile environment in the classroom because you have profs who are very culturally out of touch and not doing the work and even trying to be in touch. I remember one of our interviewees from EFT spoke about the difficulty in taking courses with Black professors at EFT. She went out of her way, which most Black students have to do. We have to go out of our way to go search who's teaching the class to see who the Black professors are. Because if you don't, you most likely will not end up with any. So I think she said she tried to take all of her classes with Black professors. And she ended up taking three classes with the same professor. And she's just like, wow. The university, again, pushing for the rhetoric of diversity, inclusion, but it's not in your staff population, right? Why is it so yeah. difficult for me to get a course with a Black professor? Another way that the institution pushes out Black students is that for the York United Black Student Alliance and other BSAs, these spaces are carved out for Black students. The university funds it. It's written in the constitution. These spaces are allowed to be there. So the institutions can't really do anything about these spaces existing for Black students. So if a Black student has a hard day, they can go to these spaces and vent and it's a safe space for them. But the institution, since they can't actually outlaw these spaces, what they do is the security presence whenever an event is held is just overwhelming. So that is another major way that Black students can be pushed out. Hyper-surveillance. So the most minor events, a meet and greet, or any type of party or gathering, York will just send every security guard possible at this one stage. And we've seen this happen within our years at Yitza, and we've seen it happen in comparison to other student associations that aren't Black. They wouldn't even have security if they do with one, and they would be over capacity. So we see how York targets Black events. For me, what resonated was just the beauty in how resilient Black students are, especially as someone who's on a BSA, where you're always having to fight and always having to validate yourself and affirm yourself and affirm others, the Black student population. Like, it's so much work. It's so exhausting. And then on top of that, you still have to do your schoolwork. You still have to pass your exams. You still have to study. And it's just a lot to deal with. So just to see how Black students, like, we've been able to do it and we're still here. We're still here being joyful. We're still here loving each other, still here finding each other, finding community.
it's just such a beautiful thing to see in the midst of all this chaos and it just continues to get worse especially with the conservative government we have now slashing cutting important resources that we need we're still here we're still fighting for ourselves fighting for each other so i thought that was just so beautiful and i think a conversation that i'm very interested in now is building alternatives so to get a degree you have to go to york Ryerson or EFT. But these institutions are not safe spaces for us. They don't support us. So why is this our only option? How do we create alternative institutions where we can actually thrive? And tell me more about what Black student associations and whatever other collective formations of Black students exist on these campuses are doing to navigate all of this, to create safer spaces, and to push back against the institution. To me, I feel like the biggest benefit of having these BSAs on the different campuses is creating safe spaces for Black students to go when they have to deal with all of, you know, the things that comes with having to take on a post-secondary education because it can be a lot, especially like for me personally, I'm not originally from Toronto. I'm from a different city. So moving here and being able to have that little community that UPSA and the other BSAs are, it was really great for me because I didn't have the luxury of getting to grow up around a lot of people that looked like me. It doesn't necessarily always have to be like doing policies and things like that. It could literally just be like we have a movie night or we have a game night or just little things that can help people make friends or make people de-stressed from work and school and all these other things. So for me, I feel like that's the biggest benefit. Another one would be you could come into this space and be like, I have this class and say no more. Everybody knows who that class is, what that class is about. You don't really have to explain yourself if you have a prof who is triggering you, who just makes your experience uncomfortable. And these spaces just have a lot of resources. So you come in with a problem and ultimately you leave some type of resolution or some type of comfort. They introduce resources that you never knew existed without having to pull any teeth. So, for example, if you have a prof that's giving you a hard time, you could have another person mark all your assignments. That's something I never even knew existed. I've just kind of been sticking it through with terrible problems. Or if you're looking for a course that's actually taught by a black class, there is resources found in these BSAs. The BSA offers an opportunity for you to find joy in the chaos, right? To feel happy, to laugh, like, you know, to dance. Yeah, there's so many moments where you're just in the office, like, you know, dancing, playing music, bouncing ideas off each other, learning more diving a little deeper into Blackness, I know for sure my understanding of Blackness really transformed because of the BSA. Understanding that my experience is one, but it's very different depending on the other parts of your identity, right? So I learned a lot of that through the conversations I had with people in BSAs. And I think also like this documentary created is another way to resist, right? Resisting through art. Just the fact of documenting it and showing that we're here and how we're navigating, that's a form of resistance. And really speaking back to the institution, speaking about accountability, critiquing the institution, strategizing or thinking about alternatives, like reimagining the institution itself, that's a form of resistance. And every Black student who took part in this documentary is taking part in that resistance or that pushing back. So, yeah, we do it in so many dope ways. We do it in many different ways. And these spaces tell you that you're good enough. I find like with blackness, you always find yourself in white spaces, which unfortunately is the entire world somehow, that you have to be excellent. That it's like, if you want to write, you have to be the best writer on the earth. 
And then these things were just like, yo, it's okay to just exist, you know? It's okay to just be, just to be, that is an achievement in itself. You've gotten to third year university and your first gen. So that's like, within these spaces, it really stresses that you're enough that, yeah, you are excellent in your own ways. How have the screenings been so far? We had two screenings on one day. Both of them ended up being really good. The people that ended up coming, they were pretty interactive in terms of like afterwards, we had the Q&A and we had really great conversations with everyone that came and was willing to speak. And so that was really cool to kind of have like a full circle moment of like, this is around the time where we started the doc last year. So to now be able to show this film that we've made through all this hard work to the people that matters the most for it was really cool to have that full circle moment. We also had an overwhelming response in terms of requests for other screenings. Some even outside of Toronto and offering to pay for our expenses to get there just to screen it. So that has been a huge shock. So it's very humbling to see that how hard we work, how hard we are on ourselves. And to realize that, like Andre said in the beginning, this is nothing new. But so many people, teachers, high school teachers, professors, ESA members from other schools have all requested to book screenings with us. So we have a lot of more work to do. Yeah, and what's dope too is that even one person reached out to us wanting to screen this at an elementary school. And we're like, wow, that's so incredible. And that's great to screen something like this at an elementary school. I think everyone should be receiving this conversation, especially as Black students. Like, There's a big expectation for us to go to university to get a post-secondary degree because a lot of our families cross oceans to get here, right? And they've had to work so hard for us and they want us to just achieve something. And for a lot of them, go get an education. That's what that looks like. So there's a lot of pressure to go to university. Mm-hmm. But what no one's really talking about is like, yo, when you get to university, it's not an easy place, especially if you're a black student, right? It's hard. So it's not just like go to university, go to university, but like, yo, what are you going to do when I get to university? What are the supports in place for me when I'm in university? So I think if I had been introduced to some of these conversations before getting to university, like, yo, yeah, universities, it can be challenging. And when you get there, these are some ways maybe you can navigate it. So I think it will be important to share the doc with people who are not even in university, children, elementary, middle school, high school, all of that. So I think our hope is that people see this doc and Black students feel inspired to create their own stuff, to talk about their own experiences, just to continue to talk and continue thinking about alternatives to what we have now, because this ain't it and it doesn't have to be it, you know? You have been listening to my interview with Ledna Mohammed. Kaku Kaney, and Andre Harriet about the Black in Post-Sec documentary film. To find out more about it, to learn about upcoming screenings, or to get in touch with the group to inquire about organizing a screening, search for Black in Post-Sec on Instagram. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>